Welcome to Conversations on Health Freedom. I'm Leslie Manukian, President of Health Freedom Defense Fund, and I am absolutely thrilled to be introducing you to something that I, be, I hope will become a really important part of the conversation that we should all be having, which is what is health freedom and why is it so important? I am absolutely thrilled to have my very, very first guest in our very first episode be Judy Mikovits, someone I admire, someone who inspires me, and someone I am so happy to call a friend. It's absolutely wonderful to have you with me, Judy. Um, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much, Leslie. Yes, you and I have been in this fight, what, since we met back in 2012? Yeah, it's been a long time. As many viewers will probably know, I made a documentary on vaccines called The Greater Good. And after making that movie, it really um, launched me into the whole health freedom arena. And so I met, you know, unbelievable people like Judy Mikovits, who have been championing freedom and truth for decades before I ever got involved in the early 2000s. And um, I just want to read, if I can, a little excerpt about you from your latest book. This is your latest one, right? No, that's not our latest. You have one. another one. What's it called? Tell me what it is. Ending Plague. Ending Plague. Okay, I don't have that one yet. A scholar's Obligation in an Age of Corruption. I'll autograph it and mail it to you. I should have it sitting here, but it's in the car, actually. No worries. I would love it. So let me just tell our readers, our viewers, who Judy is, because she is an unbelievable um, scientist, incredibly accomplished, who was smeared, literally thrown under the bus for speaking the truth. And you all should know who this, who this champion of freedom and truth is. She spent 20 years at the National Cancer Institute working with Dr. Frank Rossetti, one of the founding fathers of human retrovirology. And she has co-authored more than 50 peer-reviewed scientific papers. I'm sure she would have offered hundreds by, authored hundreds by now if she hadn't been chucked out of the scientific world for challenging the powers that be. She co-founded and directed the first Neuroimmune Disease Institute using a systems biology approach in 2006. Dr. Mikovits serves in Southern California, lives in Southern California with her husband, David, who I've also had the pleasure of meeting. And um, I'm just thrilled to have you here today, Judy. Thanks. Anything else you wanna to add to that? Uh, no, that's essentially our last book, Ending Plague, A Scholar's Obligation in an Age of Corruption. I just put a picture of it in the chat for you of oh, our three books, because we now have three books. Um, it's a trilogy, Plague, Plague of Corruption and Ending Plague. And Frank Rossetti is the lead author, my, my colleague, my mentor since June 6, 1983. We've worked together for the better part of 38 years. Our, our working collaboration ended on May 4th of 2020 when pandemic pandemicseries.com came out. You know, this is the Mickey Willis film that originally was supposed to be a um, promotional video for Plague of Corruption. Why does that book read like prophecy? Why did we know when it was published April 14th of 2020 exactly what they were going to do to us and call it COVID-19? Because we'd seen what you'd experience, what we'd work together. We'd seen vaccine injury. We'd seen the lack of safety. We saw everything. We saw animal tissue. We saw animal viruses being injected 
and evolving in humans. Not that there were no viruses ever isolated from humans. That's what Dr. Rossetti first did, um, was be the, the father of human retrovirology. We were told, he was told when he joined the National Cancer Institute in 1975, when I was a junior in high school, when, when he joined the National Cancer Institute, he was told, don't bother looking for disease causing human retroviruses because humans don't have retroviruses. And now we know with the sequencing of the genome in 2004, that 8% of our genome is endogenous viruses, including retroviral envelopes, spike proteins that are there to educate our immune system, to tell us the difference between self and non-self, danger and, and non-danger. What are those molecular patterns? Well, here now, we know in 2021, and we knew in 2020, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the entire vaccine strategy of inoculation doesn't work, will never work, and is causing the explosion of chronic disease, just as it caused the AIDS epidemic. It murders the most susceptible. And, and this is where we are in 2021. You know, I'm walking proof of that because I was very badly injured in, gosh, what year was it? 1992. And here we are almost 30 years later, and I am still not 100%. And I hope that one day I will be. I'm better than I've been in, in that whole time period. But it was a very, very slow decline after it. And there are certain things that I don't think I'll ever heal. And, you know, I have to live with it. But I am walking proof that vaccines can cause and do cause very, very serious injury. But listen, I want to talk about something slightly different. It's a little bit off topic for you. But I think you have had a front row seat um, and a unique perspective on this issue. And it's really become much, it's come much more to the fore in the last couple of years. But it's interesting that I can't remember, I think it was in 2018 or 19. I think it actually probably was in the fall of 2019. I was on an NPR interview and I was invited to this interview. And so was Dr. Peter Hotez who is a virologist, um, a vaccine developer who works at a bunch of different Texas institutions, Children's Hospital of Texas and Baylor and Texas A&M. He's got positions at all of these, um, but he's a vaccine developer. And many of us who've been in the health freedom arena for a long time know of him because he is someone who is oftentimes wheeled out to debate us usually to combat us would be a better term for it. But he actually said during the course of this conversation with myself, him and a doctor, and there might've been one other, one other um, person on there, but he actually said, I said, I made a comment about, it was so important that we understand, acknowledge and respect our health freedoms. And he said something to the effect of health freedom. That doesn't even exist. What is it even? It's nothing, essentially. He basically said it didn't exist. And I thought it was a really interesting thing to say. Now, of course, I would have liked to come back to him, but I didn't get the opportunity because NPR controls who can speak and when. They just turn your mic off so you can't talk. <laughs> and um, what I just really wanted to ask you was, what does health freedom mean to you, Judy? You've had this amazing career and a, a unique perspective. What does health freedom mean to you? 
Well, health, health freedom means the inform, number one, the informed consent, the data. Show me all of the data about all of the measures that's be, that are being demanded I take. Back in the 70s for me, it, it, it was pro-choice with respect to taking birth control pills. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we didn't even have the conversation of the word vaccine when I went to college. That was not something I had to even consider. What I had to have was health insurance. And that health insurance was $100 a year, which I didn't have at the time. So I went uninsured and went to college without it until my senior year um, when my twin sister actually got enough money to give me. So, you know, health freedom is, is choosing one's lifestyle, Be, choosing one's, what, what goes in to one's body at every step of the way, according to your principles, according to your God, according to your beliefs. Um, and, and, but most importantly, having informed consent, knowing the truth, you know, does aspartame, you know, and sweetener cause cancer? That was the question in my world in the 1970s. There were no genetically modified foods or organisms, but that we have um, labeling that we have labeling to know the ingredients of our foods, to know the ingredients of, of the, or, or the risks of the things that we are told to buy into. So what we needed to do for health freedom and in order to be insured was exercise, was eat right, was not to be overweight. There was, you know, and so, but we, we didn't, we were being lied to at the time about aspartame, about sweeteners. Judy, and wasn't aspartame, isn't it the most rejected by the FDA products ever ultimately approved? I think it was denied approval like seven times before Donald Rumsfeld, who was the CEO at some point, or he, or maybe he was chief legal counsel, but he played a big role at G.D. Searle, wasn't it? And they, um, I think I'm remembering, but hopefully I'm not, not um, uh, mixing it up, but I'm pretty sure that they were denied six or seven times approval to be considered a food additive. And then ultimately, once he got into um, the administration, he then pushed it through. Sorry, we had a little pause there, but I was saying that G.D. Searle, I think, was headed or somehow Rumsfeld had a big role at G.D. Searle, and then he ended up pushing through approval of aspartame because that's who made it in order to get it approved, even though it had already been denied like seven times, I think more than any other product. Is that right? Do I remember it correctly? So Dr. Betty Martini, um, um, she reached out to me. And isn't it interesting how Rumsfeld was into a lot of the vaccine and companies like Gilead pushing AZT and, and pushing um, remdesivir and forwarding these, these dangerous drugs that the FDA approves name standard of care while, in, while nutrition and honest medicine don't exist. So health freedom is about knowing the risk, but how can you decide the risk when you're not told what's there or when you're demonized in the case of me or, or Betty all the way back with aspartame in the 70s and 80s. So, you know, I grew up 
you know, with, with a mom, it's page 219 of, you know, of our book, Plague of Corruption and the acknowledgments where, where my mom insisted, you know, omission of a fact is a lie. So silence equals death. So this is what we showed on Plandemic, Plandemic, um, which first aired May, May 4th of 2020, which was supposed to be a promotional video, a plague of corruption. And then the brilliant indoctrination, August 18th of 2020. You can find both of those for free downloads mm-hmm. at plandemicseries.com. And it walks you back into your world into your world and the lies of what is Lyme disease. You know, they just keep changing the name. Now the vaccine injuries or you're called long haul COVID. Oh, that's ridiculous. That's not a medical term any more than when all the T cells were dying in AIDS patients, yet only one in a million T cells was infected with HIV. That HIV didn't cause AIDS. There was something else killing the T cells. That was my PhD thesis. That's what we've done writing through these books. That's how we changed everything. And what we're learning now in in COVID, and this is why more and more of, of our work is being censored that we can't speak and and it, that we can't speak because what it shows is this wasn't just willful ignorance or stupidity i know the doctor bridal in in canada about the the COVID shots, which aren't vaccines, they're gene therapy, um, made in an adenovirus vector like my colleagues made gene therapy right next to me at the National Cancer Institute for 20 years. Like Dr. David Martin, there in pandemic indoctrination, August 18, 2020, um, showed you 20 years. Moderna is a gene therapy company. So we just changed the, the, the sign on the door, called it a vaccine, called this an emergency, the common cold virus, coronavirus. I really don't, it doesn't matter where it came from because our God-given immunity as doctors, Peter McCullough, Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Gert Vandenbosch, the doctors whose specialty are, are making vaccines said, uh-uh, and Professor Dolores Cahill, we've had, we've had herd immunity since May of 2020. So we had to continue creating crises. And we did that with masks that are deadly and violate laws in our health freedom, um, that, that look to your body like asbestos, that have in them toxic PFOA and PFTE, fluoride compounds, that I was t- two weeks ago at the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology, mouth cancers, everything going on because of these masks. You're breathing. You're breathing asbestos. You're breathing your own toxic waste. You know, global warming in yourself. Forget the earth. We're not plants. We don't do photosynthesis. We use oxygen for energy. This is a disease of poisoning and everything about it. Our health freedom has been taken away because you, me, Dell, Andy, um, Wakefield, Suzanne, Dr. Suzanne Humphreys, Dr. Brian Hooker, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, 20 years 
since the early 90s have not given up exposing the truth because it's the censorship. Freedom of information, our very first constitutional God-given right, uh, uh, God-given constitutionally protected right to know the truth, to decide what goes in our bodies, our temples of the Lord. This is what we're being denied. We're eating toxic food and everything about my research. I didn't come into the game till 2011 when I was jailed. I really, having worked those first 22 years at the National Cancer Institute and then the next decade after I got married in industry, making therapies based on and drugs, good drugs that worked, used properly, along with immune support, along with natural products, along with vitamin C, vitamin D, healthy living and keeping those poisons out of our body. And we're not allowed to because we're not informed. Wine in the grocery store, 300 chemicals. That's not on the label. Eggs, in the grocery store, cage-free, range-free, they're healthy. Nope, they're dipped in chlorine. So they've, they've broken God's shell and protection of the seed. And eggs, as Dr. Robert O. Young um, says, are the most toxic things you can eat. But they're critical for our brain with phosphatidylcholine and egg yolks. We took it all out of our diet. So every single step of the way for my entire life, we've been lied to. So Judy, this is something that I really want to ask you about is how things have shifted. You were a scientist for 30 years. Um, You were obviously forced out for speaking the truth. How has the scientific community's um, perspective of and respect for health freedom changed in your experience since you were a young scientist to where we are today, or maybe even just to when you finished your career. And then we'll go on to what's going on today in a minute. Yeah. Well, my career was finished for me. Of course. Taken out of their world. Yeah. But I don't finish my career. I spoke last week at Trinity Health Freedom Expo with knowledge about clinical nutrition and immune support for COVID. I spoke at the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. So they thought they silenced me by taking me out of their world. But this, that's what our last book is about. But the scholars that, you know, are, the subtitle of Ending Plague is a scholar's obligation in an age of corruption. So what the the last, my perspective, the first half is Frank Rossetti's perspective, which is critical. But my perspective from the 23-year-old right out of college, looking at this corruption, seeing it from a background of the University of Virginia, of Thomas Jefferson's university, one of our founding fathers, and I use that quote, in, um, in our book, The Case Against the Mask, because at the University of Virginia, it was for here, we are not afraid to follow the truth nor tolerate error so long as reason is left free. Wow. We no longer have reason. 
that university is locked down, is, is, is in censorship. Thomas Jefferson would be rolling over in the grave as the health freedoms, as all freedom of those students entering that university. And I'm in fact, you know, am, am I touted as a daughter of the university? Do they put my three books on the website? Do they invite me to scholars conferences? The last book's title is A Scholar's Obligation in an Age of Corruption. A scholar's obligation is to produce knowledge and communicate that, the truth no matter the cost. But that's what science is supposed to be. That's what science is supposed Further to be. Further our understanding, right? And yet it is just being, um, you know, destroyed. Any attempt to do that, it's being, we are being shut down everywhere. So Judy, how has the scientific community's perspective of, and, and you know, respect for our health freedoms changed since you first, since you were 23 graduating from University of Virginia? Well, it's, it's been like that bell curve. We were free then. Mm-hmm. We were free to collaborate. We could communicate with anybody. And that's what the book goes through. And, and then as the Bayh-Dole Act, you know, removes, you, we, we developed this thing called intellectual property. Yeah. Oh, and when the taxpayers pay for everything. It belongs to we, the people. And yet our our universities, what funds them? These huge grants. And I, um, Bobby Kennedy um, and David Martin did a beautiful job in a, in a video we did called lineinthesand.us um, about six months ago. And you showed how the NIAID, the trillion dollar, the $6 billion, you know, HHS is a third of our budget, health and human services. They control and they give these grants to universities, but they give the grants according to if you play the game. A hundred percent. So People it's have no by, idea how much science is controlled in our world. hundred percent. And but that's totally changed. Yeah. That was not there in yeah. 1976. No. When I was only the 1980 class. for our viewers, 1980 was when the Bayh-Dole Act was passed, which allowed federally funded, meaning off of our tax dollars, scientists to retain the intellectual property rights to their intellectual developments. And so now Fauci and his group at NIAID, they developed the Moderna vaccine and they own half the patent on it. And um, from what I understand, they can earn $150,000 per year per patent that they have a, a part of. And, and there are many names, there are several names on those patents, yeah. you know, the, 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 you know, brilliant black doctor, another doctor, a male doctor, you know, f- along with Tony Fauci and Tony Fauci goes out there and says, oh, wait a minute, it doesn't hurt blacks because a black woman developed it. So that's what he always does. He sets up those people mm-hmm. and those are good people, honest people doing the job, but you don't own, I got. I got grants to go to college, scholarships, 
never paid a dime. I got my PhD, as we describe in, in the book, Ending Plague, there under the mentorship of Dr. Rossetti, there working in the labs that you turn on the lights, that the taxpayer pays for. I did not pay a penny for my education. Not one since I was 18 years old. You own anything I think of, and God owns the rest. So that's why, oh, I stole the lab notebooks. I stole the intellectual property of a university or a private institute. No, I didn't. Uh-uh. No, you know, you paid for it. And what I did was stopped the data from being misinterpreted. And what Tony Fauci did was throw the hammer down, pay that university, those criminals committing tax fraud, stealing, misappropriation of federal fund, misappropriation of grants, the Whittemores, you know, he, a convicted felon for, for tax campaign fraud, for then Senator Harry Reid, the Senate Majority Leader. Oh, what does he control? HHS. So did we have a little quid pro quo when, when they got caught in 2011? And, and Tony Fauci says, yeah, I'll let you out of your crimes. You know, here, you know, this is what people don't understand. Special interest owns everything about our bodies and our health. And it's about making you sick, cradle to grave, making you clients of them so that you lose all your freedoms. And, and this is the good news about COVID that never was a disease that had anything to do with that monkey virus, SARS-CoV-2. Sure, you injected it, but you've been injecting simian immune deficiency virus, the HIV, you know, precursor that we evolved in the lab. That's not the virus that Luc Montagnier isolates. That's what we tell you in Ending Plague. We tell you. So what the great news for me in the last decade, yes, a dark five, six, eight years, as you know, but as I say, last two years, best years of my life because honest scientists are waking up and honest scientists who have always been awake and who've been suffering. That's what I do in my perspective. Yeah. I asked Ken Heck and Lively, I want you to talk to Joe Cummins, Frank Schallenberger, Stephanie Seneff, Liz Mumfer, Minister um, Tony Farrakhan, the Honorable Minister Tony Farrakhan. Brilliant stories as Kent shows the stories and they were there in HIV and they had solutions. This is the good news. We have the solutions. I mean, with you, Judy, I think there's something, there's a silver lining for here for many of us. You know, I started researching for my movie, The Greater Good in 2000 or 2001. I think it was 2001 maybe. And um, I of course was stunned by what I started to learn and hear. And I just thought I was so naive. I thought, well, if, if I just go and talk to all these experts and I talk to CDC and I talk to FDA and I talk to Paul Offit and Neil Halsey and Stanley Plotkin and all these people who are insiders um, and then talk to the doctors who have a different perspective and to Barbara Lowe Fisher and all of these people that I'll just learn a lot and then figure out for myself whether or not there's a real issue here and then share that with the world. And I thought, well, gosh, if I just share it with the world, if I find something out, then 
the people who are in power will do something if there's a problem. <laughs> I really believe that. And so obviously I was disabused of that notion fairly rapidly when we got smeared by the New York Times and censored by Sundance and smeared by, I mean, I went to go and be on CNN and then they canceled the, the clip, you know, the, the segment with me um, after promising us for five days, it would be on there, all these things, right? And my whole point is that then I come to here and I look at these unbelievable, brave, courageous doctors and scientists who are standing up and saying, no, this isn't right. These shots are not proven safe. They have dangers. They are not what we're being told. Natural immunity matters. We shouldn't be you know, doing this in the middle of a um, outbreak, a disease outbreak and on and on and on, right? I mean, you've mentioned many of them, but that's the silver lining. We have woken up hordes of doctors and scientists who had no idea. I was talking to one, I won't mention the person's name, on the phone a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago now, and I made the comment that, and this person you know, said that they were happy to have gotten the hepatitis B vaccine in their position and many, many years ago. And I said, you know, listen, mercury and aluminum are poison. They are poisonous. They have no place being injected into any human being, let alone a newborn infant. And the response was, yeah, you're right. They are kind of they're bad. And the point is, it's like there's this cognitive dissonance that's gone on with a lot of these um, doctors and scientists. And now they're waking up and there's a real silver lining for all of us in the health freedom and the vaccine safety awareness community, because we've got a huge, um, you know, a slew of new allies who are not afraid and who are starting to realize, you know what, if they can do this with this shot, what have they done elsewhere? And so there's a real benefit to all of us. But I want to seg and just ask, have you had any experiences? I mean, when you were in the lab, did you ever talk back in the 1980s about forcing medication on people? You know, what were the conversations like? Were there discussions about, you know, that if someone doesn't get this shot or chooses a different path that they have to be forced to the corners of society? You know, what was the kind of demeanor back then about health freedom? Well, I think that's the conversations that we showed um, in Plandemic with AZT. Those were the conversations in HIV AIDS when we isolated the populations, we forced them to get the hepatitis B shot, the vulnerable, you know, and, and the force was the coercion. The force was a, you're the bad people. You put, you know, you're putting yourselves at risk because of your bad behavior. Uh -huh. and, and so the health freedom was, is you don't have the right not to take AZT or to choose cannabis or to choose peptide tea. And the scientists who are making the therapies, um, we are with the patients. That was one of the critical parts in the, the stories are told in our books, especially the last book, mm -hmm. because I'm standing, I'm the kid, I'm a technician, I'm the one doing all the grunt work. I'm drawing blood. These guys have, we don't know what they have. And they're sick. And we're standing up there and we're like, you know what? I'm not afraid because I've got a God-given immune system and I never wear a mask. 
We never wore a mask. You don't cripple your own immune system. We don't take our own blood as controls because we don't want to give a virus the opportunity to infect you. And then you get it in you because it's you and you don't, your immune system doesn't react. Mm-hmm. We took the right precautions, but we were right there forcing AIDS patients to get AZT or hepatitis V vaccines. You know, you you don't get your drugs and you get these drugs and you can't have these natural product therapies. Think cannabis. So I'm standing with two young men and they both have the same immunological profile and let's just say AIDS positive test, mm-hmm. like your COVID shot. I tested positive. So they both tested positive. And one's dying in the, and they both took the drugs. We had to stand there and watch them swallow them. As I experienced 20 years later in jail, 30 years later in jail, where they watch you take your medicine. You know, we had to watch them. That's the level of force. These victims of the first plague of corruption. And you're like, okay, I saw you both take that drug. You look perfect. You're AIDS patient thin. What's the difference? And they wouldn't tell us. And I'm like, look, I'm a kid. I'm not one of them. Look, I'm just trying to help you tell us so we can think about it. We're not the bad guy. And it was cannabis. They, they were getting cannabis so that they weren't getting cachectic. And so we now know cannabis is a therapy, not a gateway drug, not a poison or toxin and peptide T. And that's why we talk and Kent writes in the books, lest you think I'm lying, go watch two movies, go watch two movies, the Dallas Buyers Club and the band played on. The band played on is 1993 with Alan Alda. I believe it's still on Netflix. And and the reason it's still on Netflix is there's a lie in there. They want you to see. Otherwise, it'd be gone because it's um. Which is? I'm not going to tell you. Let your audience find. One of my friends told me that in 2019. She said, dude, I don't have time to read that book by Randy Schultz. It's a fat book. Go watch the movie and and see the lie. Okay. So this is really interesting because I had no clue that they were <clears throat> forcing these treatments all the way back then. What they were doing is that they were using a very narrow, so a very tiny subset of the population who had been maligned, right? Yeah. They'd already been pushed the corner of society. And so then they had the power over them to force them to surrender their bodily autonomy in service to, I don't know what, was it really? The into greater the good? Was it really? Or was it just because they were lab animals to these people? I don't know. But it's really fascinating because it started out as this, you know, these marginalized people on the corner of society. Mm-hmm. And now it's morphed into the entire world. And so and that's let's where- talk about the, last, the past two years, because what we're experiencing is an assault like n- nothing most people ever thought they would see in their whole lives. Right. I've done a lot of research. And so unfortunately, I've been expecting this to happen for a very long time, a very long time. <laughs> you are a student of history. You know about the Patriot Act and, you know, legalizing warrantless searches of 
Americans and mass surveillance. And you know about the Model State Emergency Health Powers Act legislation, which accorded extraordinary powers to governors and state health departments in, a, um, in the event of a disease outbreak. And you know about the PREP Act and what it did, um, providing uh, you know, absolute, almost blanket immunity um, from prosecution, legal or economic, any kind of financial liability for products made during an epidemic. So no one who makes a test or a mask or these shots has any liability unless you can prove willful misconduct. And then you move forward and we've had attacks on the writ of habeas corpus was removed in the National Defense Authorization Act of 2012. And this is just staggering and most people don't realize this, but um, it was legalized propagandizing Americans, meaning deliberately manipulating them and deceiving them was legalized so that the CIA can literally legally disseminate deliberately false and manipulative information to the American public. And guess what? They funded the program. They set the program up and funded it too in 2016. And so all these things have been happening for years and years. And so those of us who've been in this fight for a long time know that this is We've kind of been waiting for this to happen in some ways. Um, the border checks that they're having in, in, in Australia, those were part of the model state emergency health legislation, the model legislation. These things have been you know, bandied about in the um, ivory towers and in the you know, halls of government for a long, long time. It's not just now. And so what do you see as the most egregious violations of health freedom? that we've experienced in the last um, two years. And what's your forecast? Do you think it's gonna get better or worse before it gets better? Well, clearly the most egregious violations are, are the, the forced shots, the forced mass, the lockdowns, the isolation, and the, and the prohibited use of safe therapeutics or nutrition to keep oneself well. So we are being made, we're forced to literally commit suicide, to make ourselves sick. We're denied in order to get an income, you know, uh, to, to have a job, to, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Shame on you, the movie industry. Shame on you, athletes. Um, more power to you, these young NBA players who are saying, no, yeah. how eloquent, how well-spoken. So what I'd really like to hear is if you have any thoughts of inspiration or encouragement for our viewers, because I think we are, I personally think that Biden wouldn't have issued this directive to require all of the businesses with 100 or more employees to have vaccinated employees if the powers that be were not desperate. I see it as an act of desperation because it's a clearly illegal move. I mean, the, the, the executive branch doesn't have the power to do that. And they know that we're going to sue them. And interestingly, you know, they actually never put the executive order out there. It's not listed in the president's list of executive orders, which is really interesting. But what words of inspiration or wisdom do you have for people at this point where we are in this you know, battle? It's an information war, but it's a battle essentially. 
Well, well, it's a it's a fabulous. Um, it, it really, the the news is all good because, as we said at the Trinity Health Expo in Tinley, Illinois, near Chicago last weekend, lots of solutions, lots of healing, um, and other immunization strategies. So they said vaccination. We say immunization, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, forunitedsolutions.org, freedom of religion, unitedsolutions.org, an organization set up and, and spearheaded by Dr. Shannon Croner and a bunch of lawyers and religious groups everywhere where what it says is you say, I'm immunized, I'm vaccinated whether you're getting on a plane or anything else and your paperwork isn't that in that garbage <laughs> CDC card that has a lot number with no meaning because nobody knows what's in it. Your paperwork says my religious beliefs are that I immunize my body. I protect myself from disease, either from hydroxychloroquine, which is published in 2005. So the good news is that we've always had the answers. And what it says is never get another inoculation and you will live, even if you got that inoculation. Yeah. That's, that's biblical, that's scientific. You can find the solutions, whether they be energy therapies, hyperbaric oxygen, getting glyphosate out of your world, using healthy biologicals, greens, healthy foods, non-GMO. We, we can change everything. And we, the people, have the power because the, the mark of the beast is not in your arm. It's in your mind. So yeah. when you know who you trust, that then you know, and you go with the confidence and, and you're out there and you don't have to hate somebody wearing a mask. You pray for them that they don't get hurt. Well, Judy, it has been so fun and so um, enlightening hearing more of your story and your perspectives on these issues. I think it's really important for us to all have more conversations about health freedom and bodily autonomy and what's right, because this idea that government owns us is just wrong and has to stop. So I really thank you for joining me and being my guest on the fir very first episode of Conversations in Health Freedom. Thank you so very much. Thanks so much, Leslie. It's been a pleasure. Mine too.